What do you believe are going to be the top challenges or opportunities for the EV space, let's say in the next decade? First of all, let's go a little bit in the helicopter. We all agree that uh, losing close to uh, 40,000 people a year in fatalities because of driving doesn't make sense. We all agree that uh, 30% of the pollution coming from internal combustion engines doesn't make sense. We all agree that all of us globally wasting 4 billion hours driving doesn't make sense. We also all agree, frankly, that uh, it's inefficient. If you own a passenger car today, your own car, uh, you use it 4% of the time and 96% of the time it's sitting idle and it's depreciating. And so when you look at the cities in the futures and the, as the economic engine, you think about the fact that we can't really uh, tear down Manhattan to rebuild it and re-architect it, nor can we do that for San Francisco. So the idea of having a fleet of ve- an electric fleet of vehicle that is moving people around, when I'm not using it, somebody else in, is using it. It's really mobility on demand. That's really going to uh, revive things for cities. So I'm excited about that because that's a bigger goal. This is an inflection point in personal transportation. Hi there, this is David Knorr. Welcome to the third season of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm so excited after years of research and interviews and due diligence on this topic to finally be able to publish Curvebenders this year. It'll be my 11th book as a follow-on to Relationship Economics and Co-Create. Curvebenders, in essence, are your strategic relationships that enable your non-linear growth in the future. Our research points to 15 forces that we believe will dramatically impact the future of how you'll work, how you'll live, how you'll play, and how you'll give. The global pandemic is just one example. So how will you remain relevant if more disruption will come at us more often with potentially far greater impact? In each episode, I want to share with you insights, great ideas from guests I've invited to join us, as well as practical ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, your behaviors, and most importantly, what I believe is your biggest asset, which is your portfolio of relationships. I call those relationships your curve benders. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Noor here. I want to let you know that we've launched a brand new website, including a brand new blog, a resource section with links to all the previous podcast episodes, Inc. and Forbes articles, and a new intimate community called the Noor Forum. It's a place where like-minded professionals are gathering to learn, share, and grow through insights about strategic relationships, visual storytelling, and nonlinear growth. This is also where you'll find the show notes, articles, references to position papers by my podcast guests. For example, I hosted David Burkus on a live stream, and we've put a link to that video there. So join us at norgroup.com slash forum. That's N-O-U-R group, norgroup.com slash forum. Welcome back to another episode of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm over the moon. I am genuinely elated to have a friend, one of the warmest, kindest, coolest people you'll ever be lucky enough to meet. Aisha Evans, CEO of Zooks, is our guest. Aisha, welcome. 
Thank you very much. I don't know about uh, that's a wonderful person you're describing. Are you sure it's me? Yeah, I'm positive. There are interactions you've over the years. You've never been anything but kind, and it's just always great to spend time together. So, for those that may not know as much about you, can you just start with a brief introduction? Kind of who are you, where you've been, what you've done, and how you've arrived here? Of course. Thank you. I'm Aisha Evans, CEO at Zooks. I'm a technologist born in Senegal, West Africa, bounced between Paris and Africa, really like engineering, but engineering with a purpose and to make life better for people. So a long career in uh, wireless technologies and culminating in uh, 12 years at Intel as the chief strategy officer and then uh, joined Zooks two years ago where we're creating autonomy from the ground up. And Zooks was recently acquired by Amazon. Yes, we were in August, I believe. And that's been a humbling privilege to be part of a wonderful company that is uh, long-term oriented. What a fascinating journey. So I have to ask, what Intel, I mean, it's one of the luminaries in the tech industry. You had a great job. What attracted you to Zooks from Intel? Look, I mean, Intel was great. I was having fun there. When the Zooks phone call came, initially I was like, wow, that sounds complicated. But then when I looked at the impact on society, when I looked at the team, when I looked at doing something worthy and that I could afford to do both from an emotional and financial standpoint at this stage of my career, I felt that it was uh, too worthy to pass on. That's a great opportunity. So what are you most excited about Amazon? I think most of us have this perception of Amazon and Jeff Bezos and the recent announcement of new CEO, but you know, being on the inside or being on the, the inner circle has got to be a different experience. What are you most excited about? Look, I love it there. It's a company that is uh, disciplined. It's a company that innovates constantly. When you look at the big high tech, not many companies have been able to create multi-billion dollar businesses in totally different segments. And for us, obviously, uh, I'm going to be selfish. I don't have to fundraise anymore. I have the capital, but that's a given. I'm learning a ton again, just from different people, different ways of doing things, the culture of writing documents to make sure you have a clear narrative as opposed to a bunch of slides. So lots of good things are happening. So it's going to allow us to get to market. And then from there, there will be opportunities to do more things together. One of the things I love about the Zook story is you're absolutely on the leading edge. This idea of, of you know, robo taxis and autonomous. What do you, but it's also, it is a, a new frontier where you've got a lot of competitors. You've got mature industry players. What do you believe are going to be the top challenges or opportunities for the EV space, let's say in the next decade? First of all, let's go a little bit in the helicopter. We all agree that uh, losing close to uh, 40,000 people a year in fatalities because of driving doesn't make sense. We all agree that uh, 30% of the pollution coming from internal combustion engines doesn't make sense. We all agree that all of us globally wasting 4 billion hours driving doesn't make sense. We also all agree, frankly, that uh, it's inefficient. If you own a passenger car today, you own car, uh, you use it 4% of the time and 96% of the time it's sitting idle and it's depreciating. And so when you look at the cities in the futures and the, as the economic engine, you think about the fact that we can't really uh, tear down Manhattan to rebuild it and re-architect it, nor can we do that for San Francisco. So the idea of having a fleet of an electric fleet of vehicle that is moving people around, when I'm not using it, somebody else in, is using it. 
It's really mobility on demand that's really going to uh, revive things for cities. So I'm excited about that because that's a bigger goal. This is an inflection point in personal transportation. We're really aiming to make it cleaner, safer, and more enjoyable for everyone. As far as competition, and I started with that preamble, look, it's a big market. I mean, Morgan Stanley says that it's a multi-trillion dollar market and the the invisible hand of Adam Smith does not allow for such a market to be really a winner take all. So it's good to have competition and it's going to be a mix of transportation for a long time. So there's plenty of room. I don't actually call them competitors. I call them fellow travelers. I love that. And it's a classic case of also, I think, rising tides are going to help everybody, right? So as more innovation, more investments come in, more infrastructure. I was reading about, I think, Real, who started as in the scooter business, now putting, you know, charging stations around different cities. So I like the idea of multi parts of the value chain jumping in. Zooks is fundamentally trying to change that consumer behavior in a way that, you know, what do you believe it will take to gain broader acceptance for autonomous taxis? (laughs) So I believe in the human spirit. Okay. I believe that if we start small, engage with the public, they get to enjoy it. Human beings, especially Americans, have shown us time and time again that when there's a great innovation that delivers value and convenience for them, they will adopt it. We saw this with uh, smartphones. We saw this with the automobile with Henry Ford, right? We didn't end up with faster horses. We ended up with the Model T. So one of the beautiful things about our product, and I hope that many can enjoy it soon, is that when you first step into the vehicle, the way we designed it, it's it's almost like a living room on wheels. And you, you're not going to think about driving. So there's a wow moment where you're like, I can't believe this is happening. And guess what? After five minutes, it's kind of boring. And you're like looking out the windows, seeing things, because it's not about driving. That's why the, the term self-driving sometimes, you know, I think is not the best. It is not about driving. It's about being transported, leaving the driving to somebody else. And we do this for planes today. We do this for trains. And I truly believe that because of the value it's going to provide to people, especially in cities, it'll get adopted. I can't wait. Again, there are times that, you know, it's just so much more convenient when somebody else, you know, back when we all used to travel, you know, car picking you up to go to the airport, right? I was very productive of back of that car. And exactly the same idea of being transported elsewhere, I think will create less of that more productive time in kind of what we do and what we like to do without having to kind of drive ourselves. Exactly. So, and by the way, driving yourself is uh, having somebody drive you is actually pretty extravagant. So, love that. Yeah, democratizing that in cities. And our vehicle is not really going to care what neighborhood it goes in to pick up people and drop them off. So there's a certain element of economic access and broadening transportation for, for people that we're also looking forward to. I, I definitely want to talk about that a second. I got to tell you, part of my past was around industrial design and I, I, the Zooks compact carriage. Actually, I love the smooth edges. I love the round corners. And, and it seems to everything I've read says it's a very smooth ride experience. How does design and that rider experience come into your strategy to gain broader appeal? It drives everything we do. We have a wonderful industrial design team, but also the company was founded on this principle. This We've been super consistent. This vehicle, you see the concept. I watched the 2014 investor pitch deck and it looked exactly like that. So it is all about the rider. That's who we think about. And so what's going to make them comfortable? How is the vehicle going to be inviting? At the same time, we're also going to be driving amongst other human-driven cars for a long time. How do we blend into the existing infrastructure and the existing environment? So design is core to what we do. And so is safety, by the way. 
those two go hand in hand. So for example, in our vehicle, it's a five-star safety passenger rating for every passenger, as opposed to today in a human-driven car, it's only the front passenger. So design and being there for the rider is all we do. When we think about bi-directional, when we think about active suspension, when you're driving a car, you want to feel the road. When you're being transported, you want active suspension because you do not want to feel the road. You talked about the comfort and the experience in the ride, fear and lack of control of a moving vehicle. It's embedded in our psyche, right? How do you ensure passengers, and I love being driven around, that, that no steering wheel, no dashboard, no pedals, or any means of controls are going to be safe? Ha. So look, we safety is core to what we do. It's uh, embedded in our culture. And so we have to show from a quantitative standpoint that we're safe. Now, the great thing is uh, the corollary is that because it's uh, being driven by a sensor architecture and AI and compute, it doesn't get drunk. It doesn't look on a cell phone. It doesn't get distracted. But core to the mission is we don't want you to think about driving. And this is why re-architecting the vehicle from the ground up is essential. If we agree that a passenger car today is architected for a human driver, it has a windshield, it has a steering wheel, it has brake pedals, mirrors, and so on, that is not what AI needs to drive. And so we think that, again, that folks won't think about being about driving. They will think about being transported. And somebody actually said, it's kind of like a train cabin on wheels. And I said, that's exactly the feeling we want you to have. And most of us don't think about, you know, controlling that train ourselves, right? I just want, I want to get from point A to point B. So I love the idea of one less thing I have to worry about. Any concerns that autonomous taxis will diminish the value of public transit and, and really create this wedge between, you know, a digital gap between the haves and have nots? So hmm, two points in there. We don't think so at all. Look, more and more people are getting educated and having jobs and doing things. So we think that it's going to be a blend. We're starting in cities, people in suburbs come into the city, some don't. So we think it's going to be a blend. And frankly, history shows us that, right? Just because aviation happened and became uh, sort of available to the masses doesn't mean that trains went away, right? Doesn't mean that cars went away. And so we think we're adding to the set and bringing a solution that is cohesive but it's not going to really diminish mass transit. Now, when it comes to really the cost, I mean, this is something, especially as, uh, you know, being me and coming from Africa, this has to be affordable for actually more people to get an opportunity. Uh, there are a lot of folks who, uh, I do Lego robotics, sorry to go there. And there are a lot of folks who don't have access to that. And people think that it's because of money. No, it's because the, the parents work during the weekend and can't actually transport the, the kids to Lego robotics. Well, guess what? You'll be able to order a Zooks and make that happen. So economic access and broadening the footprint for everybody is something we're absolutely committed to. You talked about starting in cities. What does it take to get out in the suburbs or get out into maybe some of the lower income neighborhoods that may not be as prevalent or as, as accessible? There are two elements to that. So it is a business, right? And it's really, uh, it's capital intensive. So obviously we look at the economic demand as a bootstrap to get us started. Then in terms of uh, low income neighborhoods that are adjacent to cities, that should be no problem whatsoever. That's part of our footprint. And in terms of suburbs that requires connection to a highway, there 
you know, this is not the most, this is not our first priority, but we're thinking about that. But, and I think it'll happen quickly because usually airports require getting on a highway, except for maybe cities like Las Vegas. And from a technology standpoint, it's all about safety. It's actually harder. Highways are actually harder from a safety standpoint than being the, in the city. The average driven speed limit in San Francisco is actually 12 miles an hour. Whereas when you are on a highway driving at 55 to 70 miles an hour, the safety requirements because of the repercussions, if there is an incident are higher. And so that's our second priority, but we'll get there. We're, we're in this for an inflection point and a revolution in transportation. It may take, you know, a few more years than people want, but we will get there. I love that. So what do you believe is a realistic timeline for widespread public usage beyond not a current private roads you're testing on? So step by step, I think that we get this question a lot. It's not going to be next year being in, I mean, it's well documented that uh, uh, one of our first markets is uh, Las Vegas. So it's not going to be next year, but it's also a lot sooner than people think. And then in terms of when it is available in all, you know, U.S. cities, you know, it'll take a few years, probably a decade or so, but that's okay. We know that uh, the iPhone started on AT&T, right? And in a blink of an eye, when you look back, it was available on all networks uh, in the United States and even uh, globally. And you see that the, the footprint there. So a short few years to get to market. And then from there, we're building this solution so that it's scalable and the recipes are repeatable so that once we get going, we can move fast. I love it. I didn't ask you this. I, I can't wait to ride one. Uh, do you envision me buying a, a Zooks Pass of some sort or, or paying through an app? How do I hire one? How do I use one? So you get, you have an app, a Zooks app, and like you use an Uber or Lyft today and say, I want to go from point A to point B. And then it'll show you and give you the wait time for when the vehicle will arrive. And then as the vehicle will pull up, stop, authenticate, and the doors will slide open. You'll step in, in a very roomy cabin, sit down, put your seatbelt on, charge your phones on the pad if you'd like, and then push uh, start trip. And it will take you. And while the trip is going, it will show you the route and you can control your temperature as well as play some music. So that's how you interact with, with the vehicle, call it and then uh, get there. With respect to pricing, obviously we have a lot of pricing models. We're not discussing uh, anything right now or disclosing anything right now. But yeah, we'd love to earn the opportunity that we have repeat customers that at some point have a pass. How's that? I love it. I love it. So how many passengers can each vehicle, uh, how many can, can it seat? It can seat four, uh, four folks at the same time. So four people. And I want to be very clear because I know I'm sensitive to the pandemic right now. It will be the, the rider's choice. You have the option of saying, I want to ride alone. You have the option of saying, I want to ride, you know, I have three friends with me. So capacity is up to four. And you have the, also the option to say at some point way down the line, when we've sort of gotten out of all these pandemic issues to say, I want to pull and I'm okay picking up other passengers along the way. I love it. So I want you to take out your crystal ball for a second and fast forward a decade. When I will revisit in 2031, mm -hmm. what will Zooks look like as a company and its impact on this transportation vision that you have by then? It will have a fleet of vehicles in several cities where we're moving people around. The word 
kind of like, yeah, I'm, I have a Zooks or I'm calling a Zooks will be part of our vocabulary and part of our vernacular. And we'll be also talking about other things that we can provide to a, a rider and to our customers and ecosystem now that the basic technology is safe and starting to launch and scale. Obviously, we talked about 400 billion hours being wasted driving. If you're sitting, you're comfortable and not worried about the driving. There are a lot of other things that we can offer and make possible for you. So that's the world that uh, we're looking forward to and creating also a new class of jobs, right? Because because I hear a lot, oh, you're going to re- displace human drivers. Yeah, but we're going to create a lot of jobs too. Uh, this needs to be serviced, right? This needs to be, uh, there's a, a teleop center that is monitoring the fleet constantly. So there's a whole infrastructure and class of jobs that will come to fruition. And we're looking forward to that. I can't wait. It sounds, you know, part of it, you know, you think of futuristic, you think of movies we've seen by the same token. It's incredibly, actually incredibly exciting to think about you know, these fleet of autonomous vehicles getting us around. And like you said, one less thing we have to worry about. And I agree. I think it will create different jobs and I believe higher paying jobs. And I believe jobs that will require more training or different kinds of skills to remain relevant, which just moves us forward as, as a race, right? That's exactly so, right. So I, I love being in touch with you personally through our various social networks. I know you've got two beautiful children as I recall, they're soccer players and they're skiers and they're just all around cool kids. What do you do for fun outside of work? What keeps you occupied? First of all, I agree. They are my kids. So of course, I think they're beautiful. <laughs> Look, I mean, I read, I exercise, I sleep a lot, and I spend just time with my family, especially with this pandemic, hanging out with your husband and, uh, and kids or your partner and kids. We play games. We go up to Tahoe to, uh, to ski and just all around enjoy life. Oh, important. I cook. I've been cooking a lot. I love love cooking. So that's been, uh, and there's nothing more, I don't know, fulfilling than when the kids are like, are you cooking this weekend? And I'm like, Roger that. Let's go. What would you like me to? I love it. I found it therapeutic. I got to admit, I'm cheating. I'm using Blue Apron and I love that it's all pre-measured and shows up. But you know what? I feel like a chef. I feel like I'm you know, putting the, you know, the, the ingredients together and it's very therapeutic. Love it. So personal question, have you learned anything new about yourself through this pandemic? Is, has there been any kind of, what's been the highlight? What's been there? Has there been an aha moment for you personally? Oh yes, definitely. The value of generosity in human interaction. I'm lucky. I have three people that I live with, my two kids and my husband and my cat. And there are so many uh, folks who, uh, especially in the in Silicon Valley, who are living alone. I just think it's important to find other ways to connect with people and be available for them because this is not how we're wired and this is not how humans are supposed to live. Aisha, it's been delightful to not just reconnect with you, but to gain wisdom from your insights, your perspective, and you really are are changing the world. And I can't wait for this front row seat to see all that you accomplish with this with this venture. So thank you for being our guest. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure every time we interact. I miss you and uh, looking forward to hosting you for a ride sometime soon. I can't wait. Thanks again. Thank you. By the way, three quick points, new season and a renewed commitment to our digital footprint, blog, newsletter, social media. 
We turn the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles, so you can find those in our completely revamped new blog forthcoming at norgroup.com slash blog. Number two, we're completely revamping our newsletter to make them even more practical and relevant with both a free and a premium version. Check it out at norgroup.com slash newsletter. Lastly, we want to bring the content from these episodes to life. So whether it's a Twitter chat with a guest or live streaming through our Facebook and YouTube channels, or even more recently, a Clubhouse audio conversation, check out our various social media channels with the hashtag CurveBenders for the latest update. What a fabulous conversation with my friend Aisha Evans at uh, Zooks. Uh, I don't know if you gauge the astuteness of how she thinks and the way they've positioned uh, this this incredible new frontier. So uh, they are, these are the nor notes, hopefully in three minutes or less. Uh, I want you to take away some uh, critical insights. Look at the way she positioned the challenges and opportunities for EV in the next decade, right? I brought up competitors. I brought up consumer behavior. I brought up, uh, you know, changing how we do what we do. And the, the case she built, the compelling case she builds for number of fatalities by kind of human-driven cars today, the pollution, the traffic, the, uh, you know, all the challenges, the cost, the inefficiencies, and being driven around as a luxury that they're democratizing. So this is one of those inevitabilities in our lives, right? Autonomous vehicles, these robotic taxis, that the sooner you embrace, the sooner you'll be part of that evolution, if not disruption. I also love her comment that, yeah, are you going to eliminate, you know, will the industry eliminate some jobs? Absolutely. But what a brilliant idea to think of. Hey, you know, how do I adapt to new environments? Uh, If you haven't seen the movie Hidden Figures about the three African-American women who were involved with NASA in the 1960s, uh, there's a very specific area where one of the women sees an IBM, you know, computer come in and she rents a book from a library and she learns how to use it. And she, in essence, reinvents herself and her entire team. So if you're in the taxi business today, or some variation thereof that you know AI and ML is going to dramatically disrupt, why not go learn those new skills, new opportunities? Because guess what? It is coming. And none of us can predict it, but we can all plan. So how will you reskill? How will you upskill? How will you redeploy both your own skills, knowledge, and behavior, but also that of your team? I also love how deliberate Aisha was with her thinking, with her comments around design and the ergonomics and the friendliness of their vehicles. I love that she led with safety. I love the idea that this thing is not going to get drunk or distracted. And it's all about current cars architected for drivers versus being transported. And if this is a train cab on wheels, driving becomes one less thing I have to worry about. And I can be a lot more productive in that transportation. So I hope you'll listen to this episode, I hope you'll look into Aisha's, you know, comments and writing and blogs. And she is definitively one of those brilliant leaders that I think will absolutely change the way we live, 
work, play, and give in the future. Don't forget, I turn the show notes from these episodes into more in-depth articles and add uh, all kinds of additional insights. By the way, by the way, newsflash, Zooks is hiring like crazy. All kinds of roles. Again, they're recently acquired by Amazon. So I would encourage you to check them out. If you're open to a change in your career direction or you want to bring some of your transferable skills and knowledge and behavior and assets to this really fascinating company, I'm thinking of applying for a job myself. <laughs> but I think it's a phenomenal company and, and she's an amazing leader. And uh, what a great opportunity to, again, have a front row seat to uh, electric vehicles and this this transformation of the transportation industry. Um, so again, I'd welcome your comments, welcome your suggestions. Come join us in the North Forum where we put up questions and comments and we've got a thriving group of folks talking about uh, all these podcast episodes. And thanks for joining us. I'm so grateful for all of our listeners on the Curve Vendors podcast. I'd love to hear from you with ideas, with suggestions, with guests you'd love to hear from at this intersection of future of work, strategic relationships, and nonlinear growth. You can simply email podcast at norgroup.com or follow us on various social media channels where I use the hashtag Curve Vendors to keep you posted on our latest progress.